What's going on? Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeaGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer. Happy game day and happy Thanksgiving Eve as the Pelicans are back home and they'll take on the Los Angeles Lakers. A late start tonight, 8.30 p.m. Central Time. It's part of an ESPN doubleheader. And of course, with it being the West Coast team, that means New Orleans gets the pleasure of being the second game of a doubleheader. And again, Jim Eichenhofer joins me now and Jim, I expect a very raucous crowd at the Smoothie King Center tonight. It certainly should be. I feel like people have had this scheduled or circled on their calendar for a long time, obviously since August. I remember that was probably one of the biggest conversations on whatever day it was in August that the schedule came out of, hey, Thanksgiving Eve, the Lakers are going to be playing in New Orleans and Anthony Davis is going to be making his return. I will say that for sure this is a huge game and people are excited about it and the crowd's going to be really big but it is funny how many things happen between then and now that kind of distract you and i mean it's it, it's it's a key game and and people are looking forward to it but there's so many other things that have happened i mean with the the way that the season has started i f- i do feel like to some extent it's a bigger thing for the fans than maybe it is for the players and the coaches i mean that's probably the case a lot of times when there's a situation like this and even for me like you you realize in some ways i th- feel like there are people that are kind of going to be happy to kind of cross it off their list and say, okay, well, we're we're done with this and now we can get back to basketball. But with that, with that all that said, I do think it's going to be a really fun night and it's going to be, it's going to be great to to be in the uh, media section or the the crowd or wherever you're sitting and kind of get to enjoy this and watch some basketball. Yeah, and I think that was kind of what some of the players and coaches said yesterday. Uh, if you want to go on Pelicans.com to watch, um, you certainly saw that. Um, Brandon Ingram downplayed it as much. Josh Harp downplayed it. Drew Holiday and Alvin Gentry both said it's just another game, which you get it from that standpoint. I think deep down these guys might, obviously, in the back of their mind, you know, you want to beat your former team. But that's just natural. And Alvin Gentry said even in the workplace, let's say you leave somewhere and go somewhere else, you want to beat them. You know, sure. wherever you go, he mentioned Hewlett Packard. I don't know. <laughs> I've never worked at Hewlett Packard. So maybe I don't he know. has a. Maybe he worked there when he was in college yeah. or something. I'm not sure where he came up with that from. But well, so yeah. in case anyone's trying to think of trading me, you know, don't because <laughs> I will. I'll get competitive. So <laughs> there you go. But I'm sure it'll be a fun game. That's for sure. Um, but we have a good show for you today. Not really related to Pelicans and Lakers. Um, part of our Pelicans Legends program. Uh, we have the honor of chatting with Desmond Mason, who spent a couple seasons with the Pelicans, or then the Hornets, and then the OKC Hornets. So, Jim, you had the pleasure of covering him for a couple seasons. Yeah, he was a great guy. He was a lot of fun to talk to, really intelligent guy, as I'm sure you'll be able to pick up from the interview that he does. Really well-rounded, has a lot of different interests, even as he discusses even during his career. He was painting, and he was doing some sculptures and stuff like that, so... Definitely not a, a common hobby that you get from players or really just in general, like, like not something that you hear about too often of a guy that is that immersed in art. So just a just an interesting guy to, to talk to. It's been a while, um, obviously, since I talked to him, and it, it was great to get a chance to catch up with him again. Um, we, we asked him a very important question at the, at the end, and I don't know if everyone will understand the question that we asked. Um, so Jim, if you can help us out with um, when I asked Des- when I asked Desmond about We Dem Hornets, that is a track, uh, a mu- <laughs> musical track, as they say. Um, what goes behind that? So, it I'm trying to remember the exact details. I'll try to do the best I can. So basically, We Dem Hornets was a song that he wrote 
and recorded it as a rap song. It's it's on YouTube, actually. I just saw it the other day in advance of knowing that we were going to talk to him. It's about two minutes, and he basically, quote-unquote, shouts out the whole team. He basically goes through the whole roster and says, you know, funny stuff or or complimentary stuff of every player on the on the roster from that season. I think it was the second season that they were in Oklahoma City, not the first. Um, so it's just, just uh, kind of funny, and I guess it shows another – element of his talent that he also has interest in music and was able to to go knock it out and um he he references that he recorded it in byron scott's home and thomas scott was his is his son and he uh i didn't know this but i, I guess thomas scott was into recording music yeah. too so it, it all came together and produced the theme song of the 0607 new orleans oklahoma city hornets should we play it for the listeners right now Sure, why not? All right, without further ado, here is We Dem Hornet just before we get into Desmond Mason. Tell your boys to run up, pimpin' if they want it. It ain't no bumblebees here, homie. We them hornets. Yup, you about to get a roll call from your boy Mace. From the top to the bottom, so about fake bass in here. He to be our best. Young fella, but I promise, homie, he on deck. Got a couple more youngers, let me start with Sid. Move slow, had the time, put a bang on your head. Get him, step back, it's meniscus here. He to team up, bet you you get blisters here. Young Hill. Homie did it in college, so I had to acknowledge that there ain't gonna be a difference here. Chris Paul called him Roy, he the rookie of the year. Same pot, different three, second year, get it clear. D Brown got game name down with the squad. 82 and six months, homie, he go hard. Subak had game when he was in South Beach, and he's still shooting flame without the Miami Heat. Who need him? Jay Pargo, yep, he from Shot Town. Okay. Bet the in and out to make your boys bow down. LJ, a product. Of the big time shot, hey. out working out, man. You must be out your mind. You ain't heard of D West, and you don't know what it is. Pick a four man, I promise you, he give him the biz. TC ain't a floater, homie. He can't get. They'll be looking outside, trying to find where it went. North Philly, I represent for Jacko. And the way he play, you probably think my man was wacko. Be Jack, the worst fear for a young six man. Don't be scared, stand up, it's about to get hey, sick, man. But it's one player you don't want to get. Get it popping with the long range flamethrower Stoyakovic. Me, I'm that wild brother bringing the pain. I get my feet said you probably want to get out the lane. And that slick talk, best believe we rising no puppets. We them hornets, homie, hate it and love it. Hold up, chill out. And with that being said, joining us now, the man of the hour, Desmond Mason. Desmond, glad to have you on. Good to talk to you. I'm good. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. Um, let's let's start with kind of uh, what are you up to these days? I know you're going to be joining the broadcast on Friday in Oklahoma City on Fox Sports New Orleans, but um, what are you doing in the Oklahoma City area? Uh, man, we uh, obviously we moved back here after I decided to retire from basketball. Um, one of my lifelong passions um, was an artist. Uh, since I was 11, I was a sculptor and ceramic, uh, ceramic and, and painter as well. Um, and for our company now, D-Mason Art LLC, that's the company that I started in 2012, but I did shows starting in 2001. Man, um, we travel globally doing art exhibitions. We just finished the show in Tulsa. We got Miami Art Basel coming up in Miami, getting ready to go do a show in uh, uh, Moscow and Russia. And, uh, you know, so we do shows every year. Now my company's kind of getting into graphic and apparel design, collaborations with 
you know, some major companies globally. And uh, but I get to paint every day for a living, man. That's so that's that's what I do every day. I just left the studio with my son. We're heading back here in a little bit after I get my daughter, but I get to create um, for a living every day. That's awesome. I remember reading up on uh, your love for painting, and I know that's what you majored in at Oklahoma State. How much of that was a part of your life while you were in the NBA? How much did you paint when you were able to spend some time off the floor? Uh, actually, I, I took all my portfolios um, on the road. I took materials on the road, and if I didn't, I would buy them in the city. Um, I did that in college. Obviously, I did it in college in my classes, but uh, when I was in the NBA, I did it just – uh, to be in the studio, I wasn't really a club and the bar guy. I would just go get a really nice meal. I'm a foodie, so I'll get a real nice meal and then go back and, and spend two or three hours drawing a painting uh, in my room and take all my stuff back home. And that's how I created my body to work. Uh, even one, one of my first my art pieces I bought was a Picasso, and I bought it in uh, on Rodeo in, in L.A., and I took it on the plane back with me. And I held it in my lap the whole entire way back. Man. So I was always an artist. I was a little... Uh, different in that aspect, but um, I loved creating when I was on the road, Joe. It was just a great way to release um, things, step away from basketball a little bit. I was about to say, did any of your art practices translate on the court? Because I'm sure as a playing in the NBA, there's a lot of discipline that goes into being uh, a professional athlete, but also there's a lot of dip discipline in painting. Did any of that translate on the court whenever you're you're on the floor playing? I know. It's funny because a lot of people say, oh, well, you went from athlete to artist, and it was actually the other way around. You know, I was really a, a really good football player. I was a quarterback in a, in a defensive end, and I got better at basketball after throwing about three inches in the summer, but I was an artist, you know, when I was really young. Uh, so a lot of people think I made that transition uh, from, from basketball to art, but I've always talked to them about, um, you know, how much there's a synergy between the two, because most think that, well, how does that happen? I remember having a conversation with David Stern and talking about um, the game in general, and we were ready to put together a program before he stepped away and Adam took over. Uh, but it was along the lines of, you know, uh, the art of basketball and, and, and athletes for art, you know, kind of a global program initiative that would connect globally as they were growing in the NBA globally about the arts and how much of an influence it has in, in, the, in sports in general, you know, the shoe designs, the jersey designs, the, the arena architecture, um, the music, the lighting, um, you know, things along those lines. Uh, so it was, it was a... Uh, a great opportunity to talk to him about it, but man, there's a great, there's a great coexist between those two. Absolutely. Uh, before I hand it over to Jim, just one more question. You know, obviously uh, having you on is uh, due in large part to your involvement now with the Pelicans Legends community. Um, just talk about what it's like to be a part of it and kind of how the Pelicans are embracing former players. Uh, you know, it, it's great because it's a, uh, it's a situation where, um, you know, they're, they're kind of reaching back into their legacy um, bringing back guys, and it's good to see, you know, the NBA PA has a legends program as well, just kind of virtually through the NBA, but it's great to see teams really step back uh, into their kind of that legacy and bring back some of those legends. You know, I played with, with Milwaukee as well, and they've done that program, and with everything that's going on in, in New Orleans with the Pelicans, obviously Zion, this young new nucleus they have, and, and the future is extremely bright for them. You know, stepping back and bringing in those veterans, that lineage of guys that have really sacrificed. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, Jamal McGlory and, 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 and Barron and all those guys. Just uh, Obviously, CP3, um, after Katrina, JR and PJ Brown, David West, you know, those guys, you know, making sure you tapping back into that, that lineage, um, I think is very important. It kind of keeps these young guys intact with the history of the game, um, which I think is a great thing. 
Desmond, I wanted to kind of go back all the way to 2005 when um, I think it was in October. I think it might have been, you would remember probably better than I would, a couple weeks before that regular season, you were traded to uh, the, the what was then the Hornets in Oklahoma City. And I remember people had said that the trade makes sense partly because, you know, the team was brand new in Oklahoma City. Obviously, no one expected them to even have an NBA team, but because of Katrina, they were there. And then they trade for a guy who had played at Oklahoma State, so that made sense. What what was what do you remember about when you first heard about that trade, or just the your reaction of knowing that you were going to play for an NBA team in Oklahoma near where you went to college? After I'm sure that was ne- something that never crossed had ever crossed your mind before that year. Oh man, it, it was a uh, you know I I never thought there would ever be a, a team in in Oklahoma. Obviously, um, you know I thought that it was a market that was very you know, driven by the college game, football and basketball as well. I, I played in Stillwater, and just the support in Oklahoma was is unparalleled. I mean, people really love their sports here. They know the game as well. Um, they're not. It's it's not a situation where it's uh, it, it, it's it's not pretentious. They they if you're playing hard, they're going to clap for you. Even if you're losing, they're going to try to root you on, get you going. So um, I knew there would be great support. Um, there from a sports standpoint, but I never thought the NBA would even consider coming to Oklahoma. And then when it happened after Hurricane Katrina, I was actually with the Bucks, mm-hmm. and I was traded at the very beginning of that season. And I can remember coming to Oklahoma one, knowing that we would get great support. I, I knew that, but I knew the transition would be hard for especially a lot of the young guys. So I was kind of a mentor for everyone, knowing mm-hmm. the lay of the land in Oklahoma. I was essentially a mentor, helping guys out. I can remember Chris called me when there was a tornado siren going off and he had zero idea what to do yeah. and he called me and i was like okay like just turn the news on i got you and i'll let you know i'll, I'll text you and let you know if there's something going on so um again it, it was uh it was an amazing opportunity to come back and play for the first team and then play for the thunder as they transitioned over and then now having chris back as well as we're the only two guys to ever play for the only professional teams in oklahoma hmm. um it's pretty amazing but the hornets man it was just a that the, the outpour and the love that we received when we were here was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. What do you remember about just the uniqueness, too, of, of those circumstances of, you know, I I remember the the first season there. I don't think anyone knew whether you were it was going to be the team was going to go back to New Orleans that second season or if it was going to be a second year in Oklahoma City. I mean, how how strange was that? I mean, compared to all of your – other experiences that you've had in athletics as far as just um, I, I really, if you think about it, like something that no, I don't think any other NBA team has ever, you know, can, been gone through anything like that before. Um, you know, it, it was, again, it, it was one of those things. One, there was a, there was a, a great feeling for the love that you had, but there's also this displacement for guys. I mean, your, your families, uh, the organization, the people that your team, in general, the people that work for the team, the marketing, your advertising, PR, community relations, you know, everybody's displaced because of the tragedy with Katrina. Um, but then we're traveling back to play games to make sure we're continuing to support the community as they rebuild, right? As, as people are starting to get their lives back in order. Mm-hmm. Every, I mean, you know, there was people in New Orleans that were in Houston and Dallas and literally just kind of spread out of the country after Katrina, um, that tragic situation. But here in Oklahoma City, it was it was tough for the guys as well because you had to go out and do your craft. Um, you have an owner who is spending a lot of money and has invested a lot into the organization, and uh, and Mr. Shen, and you know it's just you have to go do your job. It's your occupation. Um, plus, 
families were moved and all over the place. Some families didn't come to Oklahoma City. We stayed in hotels um, until we found homes. You know, it was a it was a very difficult situation. One of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, in my career outside of my first trade, which was just mind-boggling for me from Seattle to Milwaukee. But Katrina was just it had that that situation and that movement had such a different vibe to it. But we all rallied around each other. Man, we practiced in Southern Nazarene, which is one of the smallest schools in the Oklahoma City area. Yeah. And you got Tyson Chandler and I mean, I mean, so you got you got PJ Brown and and Peja and all. Those. We're big guys. And we're in like basically a high school locker room. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was it was uh, it was interesting. You know, I wanted to kind of go back to go back over those two seasons too that you played for the then Hornets, um, and how much you remember from that. I, the the first season was just to kind of refresh people's memory was oh five oh six season, and it seemed like that team from the outside, maybe even before you were traded to the Hornets, because they because that was so close to the beginning of the season. But a lot of people's expectations for that team were to be, you know, maybe one of the worst teams in the league and maybe win 20 games or something like that. But it just seemed like it just really took off. Obviously, Chris Paul ended up winning Rookie of the Year. But, I mean, how much – how much? what do you remember from that season as far as just – it seemed like every you guys had, had so much fun and it was one of those things where you were a team that everybody really kind of became attached to because you kind of came out of nowhere in some respects. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, it was a, uh, you know, the, the one thing I can take from it is just the camaraderie that we had as a team. I mean, to go through, you know, again, I, I was traded from Milwaukee to Oklahoma City. My daughter was, I mean, she was weeks old. Mm. I lived in the, in, the, in the Marriott for four months with a, a, a child that should have been a bassinet, and, and a, a, it, but she was in a pack and play and, you know, swaddled up so she wouldn't roll over and all those types of things mm. in a in a hotel room for all mm. that time. And so um, I, I can only really imagine when other guys, Speedy Clashton had a family and PJ had a family. and and But for us to make the transition and that camaraderie we had, again, practicing with B. Scott, practicing and, you know, uh, what, you, what I would say is a high school gym and a high school locker room scenario, got, it didn't matter to us. Like as much, you know, you, you're talking about NBA guys that make, tons of money mm-hmm. and it didn't matter to us that we were we were in that situation guys just rallied around each other because to be honest you know the guys that knew people and had had friends in new orleans were dealing with katrina and it was such a tragedy that like, our situation was amazing as there was families in the in the dome in houston trying to figure life out and what's next and so for us it was you know, hey, it's all about us. It's about family. We're going to support each other. We're going to help each other. But it was it was tough at times. But you know, going back and playing in Louisiana and supporting that community, and me being a guy that didn't play in New Orleans, uh, seeing that love even mm-hmm. still was pretty amazing. Yeah, and then the the second season, which obviously was oh six oh seven, when you look back at that team, um, it seemed like there were just a million injuries. And unfortunately, that's something that we've become accustomed to here over the last few years in New Orleans. But when you when you look back at that 06-07 team, the, Tyson Chandler was added that year in a trade. There were some other moves that were made that summer that I think, you know, added more talent. But when you look – when you you kind of see like that, that was kind of – even though that season didn't go the way people hoped it would, um, like I said, largely probably because of injuries, it was kind of the groundwork for a team that turned out to be, you know, really good, you know, in the following seasons after that. 
No, no, absolutely. It, it was, uh, it was, you know, it's like anything. I mean, it's just like the situation that um, they have now with with the Pelicans. It's it's a it's a process, and these guys are going to learn how to play with each other. Um, you got a lot of new players. You got a, you know, you got an amazing player in Zion when he's back healthy and he's on the team. Just getting him back integrated in the offense again and in the team again is going to be a feat within itself. Um, but you got all these young guys that it takes a little bit of time to grow. And we had the same thing. We had a, a rookie, you know, rookie of the year and, and, and one of, you know, obviously a, a future Hall of Famer, uh, in my opinion, and Chris Paul, that had to learn how to run a team. And not just a team, but a team of veterans, guys like David West and myself and, and P.J. J.R. was another young guy at the time. You got Speedy Claxton, who was coming off the bench. Um, I mean, it was just a great group of guys. Bird um, as well. And, and Chris had to learn how to run that team, and it took some time. Eventually, it all started to click, and guys got comfortable, and that's when wins come. But that takes a year or two. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can hit it early and sometimes not, but – um, it continued to progress in the right direction. We we made steps forward um, from year one in, in Oklahoma City to year two, and then as the team moved back to New Orleans, they continued to progress and make steps forward as the team got older and more acclimated to each other. You mentioned Zion Williamson, and, uh, of course, he's probably going to be throwing down a lot of high-flying dunks, but also you were a guy that threw down a ton, including the 2001 slam dunk contest. So if you had to pick someone right now in the current NBA, who would you who would you consider to be the best dunker in the league right now? Oh man! Um, or a couple of players if you don't if you don't have one. A, a couple of players, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard for me for one because I, I I mean as a dunker, it's all different styles. But you know Zach Levine, he's still doing it. You know, but he's one of the, he's now falling in love with the three. Um, so we probably won't see very many dunks from him anytime soon. Um, but I think Zion is definitely high on that list because that's his game. I mean, his game is a power game. It's a game of athleticism. Um, you know, it's kind of we could quote-unquote bully ball is what we call it when we played. Uh, so he's definitely really high on that list. Um, in, my, in my personal opinion, those are the two guys. I mean, there was a time when you had Blake Griffin. LeBron obviously just showed that he still got some hops in the tank recently with his poster. Mm-hmm. Um, but – Another guy, he doesn't do it very flashy, but he's he can get it done, and that's that's a uh, Kawhi Leonard. You know, Kawhi knows how to get to the rim, and with those hands, I mean, he just palms the ball. It's kind of that Dr. J feel where, you know, once he takes off, there's not a lot you can do about it. And uh, you just kind of either get out of the way or get a poster or foul him. That's pretty much your options. Um, but I would say the, the generation of guys coming up now, you know, Zion is leading that pack. I mean, everybody's excited about that, and, He's going to get a lot of posters, guys, because guys are going to jump with him. Blocks, shot blockers are going to try to block it because they want to be the guy that blocked it, um, and they're going to be on a lot of highlight reels. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, before we let you go, this is probably the most important question uh, of the day. It'll be our Seeky question of the day is, uh, do you still have the copy of the We Them Hornets track? We, we need to know if you still have a copy of that. <laughs> I, actually, I do a radio show in Oklahoma City every day from 11 to 12 on the franchise, and then I do the Thunder pregame stuff just kind of periodically with them, just kind of talking about the game. And my morning show with my buddies that we just kind of have some fun and talk about all sports stuff, they always play We Them Hornets. And I can remember the day I did it. I, I recorded that track. This is an honest statement. I wrote it because I wanted to do it for our team because it was just kind of like a roller coaster ride. And I wanted something fun. 
And B. Scott said that he would play it in the locker room. They did a video and everything. We spliced it together. He would play in the locker room. I wrote that song, and I recorded it at Byron Scott's house in his son's studio. That's awesome. So Steve Scott, his son, I, I went over to my coach's house to record a rap song for an NBA team. Like, I was a high school kid. It was fun. It was so good. That shows you how cool Byron Scott is and was. Absolutely. B. Scott, B. Scott was the best. And I always say this. You guys may not know it. Some people do know it. But when it comes to Byron Scott, I remember he and I talked about it. We had a close relationship, and we still kind of periodically talk. When it comes to Byron Scott, the one thing that I was surprised, it's like a little nugget about Byron Scott. Like, I think he's like a black belt. Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, he's like, he's deep in karate. So really? we don't mess with him then. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, trust me, when I learned that, I don't, you don't talk back at the coach. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. J.R. Smith, J, J, Smith learned the hard way. He ended up getting benched for half the season. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember he went from the starting yeah. lineup to not playing at all. It was it was very he abrupt. You know what? And it, 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 it literally it happened overnight because Jr. started running his mouth in practice, and him and B. Scott got into it, and it, it, it looked like it was about to get physical. And, and you know, Byron Scott, like being that guy, he's like you know he's just kind of a quiet guy, stands with his arms crossed, and mm-hmm. literally the next day he goes, "This is the starter," J, and Jr. didn't play a minute. For I don't know how many games it was a like yeah. fifteen games. It was a month, I think, at least. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it was. Yep. And then, yeah, he, he he just said, "I can fix this. You're done. <laughs> we, we're we're not good anyway, so it doesn't really matter." <laughs> you know, there was a there was a funny story that I always tell people from. I can't remember if it was the first season, or the second season in Oklahoma City, where there was a reporter from the Oklahoma newspaper. He's not in Oklahoma anymore. Um, I know exactly what you're <laughs> You know what I'm. T- you know the story. <laughs> And so yes. he he wrote something that let's to make a long story short he wrote something about a road trip that it wasn't going to go well for the team and pretty much every player that I saw or heard talk about it was not happy and Byron Scott was really not happy so he basically banned this reporter in in terms of he wouldn't answer any questions from him so he the reporter would ask a question and he would in a post game press conference for example and Byron Scott would be like next question and so a few weeks went by, and I think the re- this reporter started to feel comfortable, like he was getting let back into the fold and everything was fine. So he's, he, he gets the nerve up to ask a question in postgame to Byron Scott, and this was like a month later, and he says, like, you know, Coach, what do you think about the defense in the third quarter? And Byron Scott looks dead at, dead at in his eye and says, next question. And it was so hard for me. It was so hard for me to not just start dying laughing because it was just – it was just so perfect that he, all this time, and I think Byron Scott, I can't remember how that was settled, but basically I think he, he finally talked to the reporter and said, like, okay, this is, this is the way you act in the NBA. This is not, you know, and now everything's fine, but just don't do it again, and I think everything was good after that, but it was just a good story about Byron Scott. So. All right, I'm telling you, and I, I, won't, I won't get long-winded on this, but, like, a little, it's a little detail about that story, so... I won't say his name, but that reporter was Daily Oklahoman. And he, the statement he made, we went on a West Coast swing, mm-hmm. and he made a statement about how we weren't defensively good and blah, 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 and we beat L.A. in L.A. Mm. And he said that Byron Scott, because he thought that he, he was kind of like his way of being funny, he's like, because that he, 
the way that I think it was like along the lines of Byron Scott should give him his check this month because he fired the team up. <laughs> oh boy, that's Byron right. Scott. That's right. We yeah. had a t- we had a we had a team meeting, and Byron Scott told everybody we do not do interviews with him. <laughs> Every player wouldn't talk to him. No one would talk to him. So as a, as a veteran Oklahoma guy, he eventually because I knew him before, he eventually came to me. And he asked me, like, man, what is going on? I'm like, dude, you can't do that. Like, you can't do that. He's right. like, man, I, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm going to get fired. And so I talked to B. Scott, and I said, coach, like, give him a pass. And B. Scott gave him a pass. He's like, okay. He's like, if he do it again, he done for the year. And I was like, I, I, I agree. I understand. So, yeah, so that guy, he's actually now in Chicago. But, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was, yeah, he, so he was. He was a day in Oklahoma, but he said, "Oh, B. Scott owes him his, his monthly salary because he sparked the team, and that's why we won." Yeah, and, and that was pretty much the end of him for the next month. You know, it's funny. That was my first year working in the NBA, and I remember he wrote something. The article too that caused a huge furor was he. I also think he he wrote something to the effect of the team's about to go on the West Coast, and the games are going to be on really late. You know, obviously that was the first time that fans in Oklahoma City had an NBA team, so they were getting used to that some of the games were going to be 9, 9.30. And he wrote something like, these games are going to be on late, but don't bother. you don't have to bother watching because they're going to lose or they're not going to do <laughs> yeah. well. But then when I remembered that part about that you said about how he, he t- tried to take credit for motivating the team, and I was thinking it was it – was, I say this sarcastically, but it was like it was pure genius because if, the, if you guys had done poorly on the road trip, he would have said, see, I told you that they weren't going to do well on this trip and it wasn't worth you got, the fans Absolutely. staying up for. But when they won, he was like, "Well, I want the credit now because I, I fired them up and I motivated them." So, that, it was just. Yeah. A, it was he, was, a, he was about he was about three games from being fired. <laughs> what he's about, and to, yeah. Until B. Scott agreed to have the conversation, so him and Byron Scott talked, but he he pulled me to the side after, and that that kind of developed our relationship. And after that, he and I started becoming friends, and we would huh. talk outside basketball from the standpoint. I would just tell him I was never, I was always a guy that if you ask me about another player, I'm like, hey. You know, it's probably better for him to answer that question. It's, that's not my place. That was me. It, was my, it wasn't yeah. my business. But yeah. I would tell him, especially in Oklahoma, how to function in the NBA. I'm like, dude, like, you're not Jim Rome. Don't try right. to be Jim Rome. Like, right. You can't be controversial. This is the first time the team has ever been in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You better start to lay some groundwork first. And then if you feel like you want to get controversial later and ask a hard question, well, at least have a rep behind you, sure. not just mm-hmm. randomly. Yeah. So, but it, it was it was funny. But B. Scott, we our whole team, we had a team meeting, and he said nobody talks to this guy. <laughs> I, th- I think we need nobody. to have. And I think we need to have B. Did. Scott on and the reporter. Well, I think we need to have them on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, if you heard if you heard it, I'm telling you, he's we still talk. He and I still talk. I mean, we we text each other all the time because he listens to my show. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. and Byron is you know still doing his thing. But it would be funny to hear them talk about it because the reason it happened is he goes oh byron should give me his check because i'm the reason they won in la <laughs> See, i love this so, we're, we're getting all of the, the one of the things we've, we've talked to a few of the former players and i think one of the things that i love the most about doing these is that with so much time removed from it everyone can be a lot more honest about the true story and oh, it, it, was, it was great to yeah. get the actual be even even some of the details that i didn't know kind of behind the scenes from you so that, that that's great yeah, it's good, man. Because we, you know, it's, it, when you're in the mix in it, you don't want to, you know, it's not about throwing people under the bus or right. causing team controversy. But you know, I'm I've been retired for almost ten years, and and those stories now are funny to us. 
they're yeah. not they're not it's not a controversy it's right more, right sure joke about it more now and the, and the reporter the reporter that you're referring to has done great too so everything worked out fine everything was it was a it was a good ending for everyone and and Absolutely. I, you can take some of the credit that you were also meant were able to mentor him and explain to him how things are and then he ended up having a good career so everything's good yeah yeah great career he's doing great in chicago like yep. he's he's a good he, and he's actually a really good person he and he'll tell you real fast he was young and didn't understand he'll tell you that sure Sure. I was young and I didn't understand, and so, uh, but but a great guy though. Good deal, good deal. Uh, before I let you go, where can uh, folks find your work? Um, as far as all, all the stuff that you're doing. Uh, so right now, everything right now is you know as we kind of start to develop our new partnership group and and getting ready to do these international shows. You know, we're redoing all of our website. The website is D Mason Art. It's my name and art after, but my social media is all the same as well. Okay. It's just Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all D Mason Art. Um, and yeah, man, that's, that's what we do. Uh, we do our stuff. We've been collaborating with a lot of companies, getting ready to do some stuff down the road with Adidas. Um, you know, just uh, being creative, you know, that's, that, that's really my focus right now is preparing for the next, you know, 16 months, 18 months of shows globally. Uh, and, you know, doing stuff with the NBA, obviously getting a chance to get back and be part of this program, um, with the Pelicans as well. Um, but you know, I, I'm very. Uh, people always ask me, "Where's where's your favorite place you've ever played?" And, and I say across the board, in all honesty, that you know, Seattle SuperSonics gave me my opportunity to be in the NBA. I played the longest time of my career in in Milwaukee. Um, the the Hornets, now Pelicans, uh, gave me my opportunity to come and be a player back where I went to college in Oklahoma, and that program, and, and be a part of the program in a way that I've never been part of another program. Being able to to mentor guys and help guys through a tragic situation um, and then playing with the Thunder as well, being able to play back in Oklahoma, you know, I can't, I can't pick one. And so, you know, I'm honored to even be mentioned in, in what has happened with the Hornets, Pelicans and, and Katrina and things that transpired. And now you guys are really stepping into that, that role of reaching back into your legendary group of guys that played the guys that really were part of those early stages. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm a, it's an honor for me. Well, we're honored to have you, and we'd like to have you on again as uh, this was a lot of fun, and we'll talk some hoops next time. I appreciate it, Desmond. Absolutely, man. You guys have a great one. You Thanks, too. Man. That was a lot of fun with Desmond Mason. We hope to have him on throughout the season. You can watch him on Fox Sports New Orleans this Friday as the Pelicans take on the Thunder. We'll also have some more Pelicans legends for you throughout the season. Okay, let's talk about tonight. Huge game inside the Smoothie King Center. Pelicans and Lakers. Anthony Davis makes his return. But, of course, also Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart will take on their former team. 8.30 p.m. Central Time. You can watch it on ESPN. No Fox Sports New Orleans telecast. But we encourage you to turn down the volume and listen to ESPN 100.3 New Orleans in the entire Pelicans radio network. If you're inside the arena, you can listen on 88.9. You can also listen on the Pelicans app within 75 miles of the Smoothie King Center. But we encourage you all to be there tonight. And we expect a big crowd, a loud crowd, to cheer on your Pelicans. And again, if you're not there, you're going to have extreme FOMO. That's for sure. No show on Friday due to the Thanksgiving holiday. So I hope everyone has a fantastic Thanksgiving. Be safe. Don't drink and drive. Enjoy all the food. I know I will before the Pelicans take off for Oklahoma City tomorrow night. Until Monday or until tonight when I talk to you on the radio. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.